Hey, this is Yovan Buha of Clip City. What you're about to hear is part one of a two-part podcast with myself and Mo DeKeel. We ran a little long as we tend to do, but today's podcast is going to be breaking down the questions and statistical marks we were looking into before the season for each Clippers player and kind of answering them, revisiting them, and reviewing them as to where things stand right now. Hope you enjoy the episode. Today's episode of Clip City is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. Today, I am joined by Mo DeKeel, my buddy, a frequent guest on this podcast, a writer for Bleacher Report and a podcaster for The Athletic, an all-around good dude uh, most of the time. Uh, when, he's not, when, he's not, when he's not roasting me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Mo, how you doing? I'm doing great. I was just happy I got all around good dude most of the time. <laughs> I feel like I've progressed. Usually it's half the time. What, 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 am I, <laughs> one of my favorite running kind of jokes on, on social media has been you posting when you're hanging out with your friends six feet away, social distancing, <laughs> and then people are roasting you saying, saying, I think this is normal how your friends hang out with you. I mean, no, I, I mean, no, that's actually closer than normal. <laughs> Most of them don't, don't even let me on the porch. Uh, <laughs> no, I was just, did it a couple of times with some friends. It works out perfectly because they have a front porch. That's, you know, and, and their windows right to the kitchen. I was like, oh, we could have dinner. And then last time I had done it with them, they actually put out like a little table. So, of course, I come out with like all the Clorox, Clorox wipes and, and wipe the whole thing down and everything before I sit there. But uh, it's been it's been fun, man. You got to You got to do what you can. Yeah. No, you, you are promoting healthy social distancing. Um, so if you are listening to this at some point in the future, uh, COVID-19 is still going on, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, and we're coming to you on a Friday, actually, which is a little bit later in the week than we normally record, but time is a social construct. And right now <laughs> it doesn't exist. It anymore. Doesn't I, apply. I didn't even know it was Friday. <laughs> I mean, it, it's Friday, but it doesn't matter because none of us are going anywhere. <laughs> Every um, day is, a, so, is just a day. That's it. Seriously. But if you are listening to this, we hope you are happy and healthy and safe and, or as happy as you can be and practicing social distancing. Um, and using this as a 30, 40 minute escape. So let's get into it. Uh, the episode this week is going to be on revisiting some of the questions we had heading into the season for each Clipper player. So before the season, I actually framed it more as a key stat for each player to kind of monitor during the season. But with each stat, you know, was an accompanying question essentially of just kind of how this guy would fit in the rotation or in a certain role or, or readjusting of a role in the case of someone like say Lou Williams. Um, so I wanted to dig into that right now. And I, I thought the first guy appropriately would be Kawhi Leonard. 
Uh, so, oh, but before we it, before we get started, I got a quick question yeah. for you. How much of this is an exercise of I got all these right? <laughs> uh, well, you said it, not me. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm uh, kidding. Of course, just wanted to. Mess I mean, with I, I, I did. I didn't. I didn't get all of them right, but I, I do think they they were. They're, no, they were really good. The, they were really good. They, they all were interesting. Keep going with the praise. I, I'm enjoying this. No, listen, it's because it's rare when it comes from me. Uh, <laughs> no, they were actually really good when I was reading it. I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's 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 all on all on point, all important stats. So I'm I'm ready to dive into it. And before I interrupted you, we we're about to start with Kawhi. Yeah. So Kawhi Leonard, the key stat heading into the season was 69 games played over the past two seasons. Of course, he played 60 games last year with the Raptors, nine games the season before that um, after dealing with that quad injury with the Spurs and, and then eventually being traded. And then he ended up being, you know, going to the Clippers last year. Uh, but I, I identify this as a pretty big thing heading into the season, Kawhi and the, the Clippers. Um, you know, he, he had not only the introductory press conference, but media day where he kind of downplayed it. And then we also had a lunch uh, before media day with Lawrence Frank and Doc Rivers. And they both had also kind of downplayed it in terms of how much Kawhi was going to be load managing. Uh, so, of course, you know, to, last season he, he load managed 22 games with the Raptors, ended up playing 60 games. But Toronto went 17 and 5 in those 22 games, uh, ended up being, I forgot off the top of my head, but I, I want to see like the, the two or three seed. Uh, and then, of course, ended up making the finals and winning the championship. So this season they'd kind of downplayed it, but that quickly became a huge topic when the Clippers rested Kawhi, uh, you know, the, the first two ESPN Wednesday games of the season. Uh, and, and that kind of caused this stir and, and this ruckus and it became a, you know, a big national storyline and everyone was talking about load management. And, uh, that's when it kind of reached its fever pitch. Uh, so eventually it, it's kind of complicated, but the most basic sense was the league didn't love the way the Clippers were handling it publicly with saying Kawhi was fine and enlisting at load management. And it was just becoming such a thing that the league kind of eventually just revealed his injury, you know, which was kind of weird. You don't see that much and changed the term to injury management. So anytime Kawhi would rest, it would be injury management. I think it did kind of have the effect of load management is still a buzzword, but I don't think people talk about it as much now. I mean, now now it's become more of like an amorphous concept of like guys are resting too much and, and what is what does it mean and should we shorten the season and are guys soft now and all this stuff. There's all these different ways you take it, but it, it's it, I felt before it had more of a face in Kawhi, and I think this kind of dulled that where you know Kawhi is still probably the player most attached to it, but I don't think Kawhi and load management was discussed as much over like the second half of the season as it was in the first half. But he, he ended up sitting out 13 games, was on pace to sitting out 17 games. Uh, Clippers went six and seven in those 13 games, which was a stark drop off from the Raptors 17 and five. Now, I actually wrote this earlier in the season. I went back and looked at the games that Kawhi rested with the Raptors. And most of them, majority of them came against the bottom five teams in the East who as we know, the bottom five right. teams in the East usually are Quite you know, under 30 wins, <laughs> yeah. some, sometimes under 25 wins. So the Raptors are actually very strategic with, you know, part of it is the schedule. And, you know, because, of course, he, he was resting back to back. So if your back to backs are against the Warriors and the Rockets, like you're, you're just kind of screwed. You're probably going to lose one of those games. But the Raptors were fortunate with a lot of back to backs against the Knicks and the Bulls and the Hawks and, and those types of teams. 
and then on top of that, um, you know, they just were able to find some pockets of the schedule where they could just rest Kawhi against the worst teams. And that Raptors team was really good, was really deep. Obviously, you know, Kawhi was the star, but they had you know Pascal Siakam blossoming into an all-star and Kyle Lowry and on and on down the list. So the Raptors were, were really, really good without Kawhi. Clippers, not so much. Uh, you know, they were under 500. Uh, but I think they were finally figuring out their kind of um, identity, w- you know, w- without Kawhi towards the the back half of the season. Um, but w- I guess, w- what did you think about that as kind of the central question with Kawhi and, and how did you kind of assess it with where we're at right now? Yeah, so it was interesting. You know, you touched on it, you know, in the beginning of the season, it didn't sound like he was going to sit out a bunch of games. And I think that that kind of came as a surprise to to the staff and, and, and to the Clippers themselves, I think, you know, for a while, it felt like he's not going to load manage much like we're he's going to he's going to play a lot more and then for it to kind of play out the way it did was a bit interesting. So I'm not sure what the whole story is with that uh maybe that's a future uh Jovan uh deep dive and and uh investigative reporting uh story here down the road but you know the 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 way I kind of looked at it was you know it's it, it mattered early on when he was sitting out because they didn't have Paul George and I think that was something where it's like okay now you're sitting out and your two best players aren't going to be playing and, you know, even early on, Doc had talked about it in one of the postgame press conferences, the extra load that puts on uh, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell to deliver and things like that. Like, I think that makes it a lot more challenging for the team. And I think that's kind of where they struggle a lot with where they had struggled with it. Once PG started to come and, 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 and get more into a groove. I think it's easier to to load manage, but early on when they were doing it, it was it was kind of crazy to me, Yovan, because I was just like, man, you're playing Trez like almost forty minutes, you're playing Lou almost, you know, thirty eight minutes, thirty nine minutes. I thought that's kind of the the problems in general with load management, and I think that's the issue with it that doesn't get talked about a lot is the pressure it puts on the other guys. Um, you know, the the burden, not even the pressure, just the more minutes is is more wear and tear on them. And those guys would, would eventually have to get some rest and and uh, to avoid getting worn down. You know, the but the way they started playing towards the second half, I think it got easier. Like you said, they kind of started to find a rhythm with it. It's not easy, though, knowing, you know, going in and then finding out a couple hours before the game or day of the game that like, oh, Kawhi's not playing today. So, you know, I, I thought it was. I, I, it worked for the Raptors, but I always thought it was going to be an issue for the Clippers just because all of these pieces hadn't really been together much. And the the chemistry issue is really kind of a, a, a thing that I always harp on. And I thought that was something that would always hamper them. And, and you know, if he was only going to play, you, you have it on, he's on pace to play 65 games. Like that's pretty tough, especially after the trade deadline when you've had you brought in Marcus Morris, you've, you know, bought, got Reggie Jackson on the buyout market. I think all of that kind of makes it an issue in that sense. You know, with the Raptors, that team was all set and pretty much knew each other and just had to incorporate Kawhi Leonard and, and to a degree, Danny Green. So, you know, when he didn't play, it was just like, oh, we're just going to go back to what we were before. This Clipper team didn't have that. They didn't really have a what we were before because there was no Gallinari around. There was no shade. Uh, Gilgis Alexander around that that was around last year so all of that stuff kind of made things a little more 
difficult whenever they load manage or, or rest Kawhi. And the elephant in the room, of course, which we, we don't need to relitigate. Um, but as Sam Amick and I reported in late January, there was also some kind of internal strife with the the load management situation and the resting situation. And it was just such a a difference from the the prior season where you had this scrappy team of underdogs and, and second round picks and undrafted guys and, and guys who were on their third or fourth team who had really kind of banded together to have this magical season of winning 48 games when no one thought they were a playoff contender, you know, taking two games off the Warriors and having that comeback when everyone thought they were going to get swept. Like, you know, that mattered to that part of the locker room. And then I think, you know, you, you add in a couple of superstars and, and at first everything's great. Everything on, on paper is, this is going to be perfect. But once you actually start playing the games and, and seeing some of the the difference in, in treatment and, um, you know, guys resting and stuff like that starts to wear on, on certain guys. So I, I think, again, we don't need to go too right. much into that. I, I've, I've talked about that ad nauseum, um, you know, the past couple of months, but uh, that was a factor too, where, you know, it wasn't just the literal on court effect of Kawhi's gone tonight. How are we going to win this game? It was sort of the trickle down effect of this kind of seeps into the locker room and, and conversations and, and, you know, kind of secret tension and, you know, a couple blowups and stuff like that. So I, I think it, it was, it, it did have an effect for sure on the season. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's I'm sorry to interrupt. It just it's just funny because it goes against the phrase the Clippers were the the marketing phrase all year, right? It was, you know, uh, street lights over spotlights and all of those things, and 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 trying to show that they were this blue collar team that they were last year. But I mean, I didn't feel they were this year. I didn't feel like they were this blue collar team this year, you know. And and I felt like they kind of were the spotlight team in that sense as well. And I think that's where a lot of that came from, you know, and that's where that goes to. Well, and I, I wrote about, you know, what's interesting, I, I wrote about a, a month before the, the the story came out. It was a late December game against the Thunder. They, they were in OKC and they lost that game. It was Paul George's return. It was right before the Christmas game. Um, and it was kind of a weird time because the, the game before they had just blown out the Spurs by 30 points. It was Kawhi's first win in San Antonio against the Spurs since leaving. And, you know, so they're kind of coming off this momentum. It was one of their best wins of the season. And then they go to OKC and kind of blow it towards the end. Uh, it was a close game. And then I think they ended up losing, you know, 10, 12 points, something like that. But after the game, I had multiple conversations with guys and they were just kind of like, and it was all guys from last season and and I wrote about it, so this isn't like something i'm I'm like breaking news here, but it there was kind of this sense of like we don't know what our identity is right now because we are used to being underdogs and we are used to scrapping for everything, and now the target and it, you know taking even Kawhi out of the picture for a second, you just put any top five top ten player on this team, it was gonna change the identity, so I'm you know I'm not trying to single out Kawhi here. Um, you know, I think the load management wrinkle is a unique circumstance that definitely adds a unique wrinkle to the situation, but you put, you know, you put Giannis, you put LeBron, um, you put James Harden, you, you put Luca, wh whoever you want to pick from the top 10, 
you put them on this team and maybe even a second guy, because of course they had Paul George too, that's going to change the target on their back. And, and last year, they really crept up on people and no one took them seriously until it was too late. And, you know, they, they'd go down 15, 20 points and make a comeback and win because no one really believed in them. This season, they entered the, the season as the Vegas favorite, co-favorite, you know, depending on the book. And all the attention was on the Clippers and all the attention was on Kawhi. So I think from that perspective, there just was a huge identity shift. And like, yes, it was because of Kawhi. I don't know if, it, you know, I, I wouldn't put the blame on him because that just comes with having a superstar. But it was just kind of this unique thing of going from being this scrappy blue collar underdog to to still having some of those, you know, because Pat Beverly is Pat Beverly. You know, Montrezl Harrell is Montrezl Harrell. Jermichael Green is Jermichael Green. Like, you're being the favorite or not, those guys aren't going to change. But it just was weird how kind of like the identity of the team changed. Yeah, and that was, you know, my real big question for the Clippers going into this season. I have them as favorites and, and all that, but I was curious about the identity and how how would it change and how would they react? Because I knew at that point they're not going to be the scrappy underdog um, once they sign these two guys and, and you know, made those big moves. I was very curious into seeing how the identity would change because it was a complete overhaul from what they were the year before to, to what they are this year. And, you know, that was kind of my big question. And that was, I think a, a lot of it was still being answered even all the way to up until the games got suspended. So, um, I think we weren't going to really know until uh, playoffs. And, and even now, I'm not sure it's going to be fair to judge it based on how things went. If we get playoffs, how how the whole season and everything played out, because they were going to need a lot more time to still figure each other out. And, and, and that's the, the, the rough part with everything. I think I don't know if I've said this publicly yet, but I'm going to break my own news on my own podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love uh, it. Let's go. <laughs> I, I do. I do think that this. If you were doing a power rankings of who's the most negatively affected by this season being canceled, I think the Clippers are probably number one. Um, I think, you know, I would entertain other options. Like you could definitely make the case Milwaukee losing a season of Giannis and really putting pressure on next season when who knows he could preemptively even demand a trade before they even get a chance to make the finals. Um, you know, that that's a possibility. Of course, the Lakers with. LeBron being 35, almost 36, uh, and, and AD being a free agent. Like now there's, there's some uncertainty there if the season's canceled. But, you know, with the Clippers, like now you have both of your guys, like at least looking at like, you know, Milwaukee, we'll, we'll see what happens. And of course, if, if Giannis demands a trade, then then maybe they were the ones who were the most affected. Um, if LeBron doesn't come back the same, maybe it's the Lakers. But I, I think we can probably assume Anthony Davis is most likely going to resign. Um, LeBron, I think has another season or two at or close to this level uh, again, you know, injury could happen, whatever, but th the Clippers really have a lot of pressure on next season. And, you know, if the season is canceled, just because now you have one year left of, of Kawhi and PG and it's kind of all of the eggs are in this basket and it, it just gives them, I think zero margin for error of we have to make the conference finals, if not the finals. Otherwise, this is a failure of a season, and our one completed season with these guys is a fail. You know, they lose in the second round. To me, that's a failure of a season for for how good this team is. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, whether they admit that or not publicly, I'm sure that's how they view it too. So, I, you know, like Doc has made the finals 
two times and, and won a championship. You know, Kawhi has made the finals three times and won two championships. Paul George has made a couple conference finals. Like that is the barometer for this group. Uh, you know, it isn't a, uh, you know, let's make the semifinals and, and lose and, and get them next year. Like this is a group that, that really is title hungry. And I, I just think if you're really looking at who the true contenders were, who had what at stake? I mean, I guess you could throw Houston in there because Houston seems like a, a ticking time bomb of, of when that whole situation is going to explode and they're going to have to fire people and, and trade people and whatever. But I really think the Clipper, but you also have to factor in too the franchise history, I think, where you know the, the Bucs, it, it's been a while, but the Bucs have championships. The, the Lakers are the Lakers. The, the, the Rockets have the Hakeem titles. Like the Clippers have no titles. And, and this really was on paper their best shot at winning a title. And then on top of that, they, were, they had won seven of their last eight heading in, into the postponement. They're playing their best basketball of the season, uh, the best in that rating. Um, you know, just were firing on all cylinders and figured out their 10-man rotation. Reggie Jackson had brought some stuff off the bench. So I really think factoring in all that context of the, you know, the, the history of the franchise, the, the current state of how they were playing, and the you know potential future ramifications – the Clippers might be the most screwed out of, you know, of course they can just come out and win a championship next season and it doesn't really matter, but it, it does, you know, there are ramifications if a season is canceled and I think they might be the most affected potentially. Yeah, no, I just think the the loss of time to be able to gel and get chemistry going. And as you said, they were beginning to do it. We were beginning to watch that process sort of develop. It was a question of if they're going to have enough time to really get that. But it was coming together. We were beginning to see it. And, that, and so that's kind of the the issue at hand for them that if we do get the playoffs going, like it's going to be tough, man, because it's still, you know, still a long way to go, at least in my opinion, to feel like, wow, OK, they're all finally on the same page. Uh, they were heading in that direction, but they weren't there yet. And, you know, shorten season and then right into the playoffs is going to be a, a, a tough thing for them. But, man. Listen, I just took the podcast down a bad road. Let's 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 <laughs> let's let's get back onto the topics of what we we're going to jump yeah, on. This went off the rails. Um, <laughs> Sorry, no, I, I, th- <laughs> I think I think it was a good it was a good conversation to have because I, I think we you know we we we've talked about some of the bigger picture stuff uh, over the the past few weeks, but I, I think this is this is a real thing where like it it um it is an unfortunate kind of fallout of, of this whole situation, and of course you know, th- there are bigger things at hand and, and you got to keep the proper perspective, but we, we, you know, get paid to talk about this stuff. And I think if, if you're looking at from the Clippers perspective of like, what would really be unfortunate if the season is canceled, it's just, you have a lost season with Kawhi and PG and it came at a point where you guys were really clicking and, you know, there's an alternate universe where they, they had one of the easiest remaining schedules in the league. I, you know, they were starting to to distance themselves as the two seed. So, you know, you, you enter the playoffs as the two seed, you know, you're, you're going to have home court against everyone else uh, against the Lakers when we know even if you had home court against the Lakers, it wouldn't really matter. Um, so it's like you're in as optimal of a position as you can be to make a deep playoff run. And, you know, barring someone getting injured, you know, I, I think they're at least going to make the conference finals. So, it just really is unfortunate. And of course the season can come back and we could be optimistic. And, you know, Sam just wrote a piece the other day about some optimism in the league about the season returning. But if, even if that happens, like there's no guarantee, you know, 
who knows it it could be negative for the Clippers that they have all these kind of guys who've dealt with injuries and now they've had all this kind of weird time off and and maybe they're rusty or or maybe they're more injury prone now or whatever like you don't know how it's going to play out so I I do think there's a lot at at stake here Um, but yeah let's let's get back (laughs) so (laughs) so the second player uh, on this team (laughs) 25 Um, minutes into the pod (laughs) (laughs) this is how my podcasts go well well, quickly um wanted to run this by you just curious still on the Kawhi front so my second bonus stat because I thought games played wasn't a sexy stat which it's not um so I did a bonus stat for Kawhi um so last season he was fifth in the NBA uh in in terms of isolation scoring points per possession according to synergy uh, among guys who had you know 100 plus um uh, isolation possession so it's kind of a high volume number i think his, his uh lower vault you know maybe like 50 plus it was something like ninth tenth but um you know so he was a top 10 isolation score last season basically by any measure um this season he was actually better so it went from 1.047 to 1.65 for people who care about the decimal points um but surprisingly the Clippers fell. They were seventh in isolation last uh, isolation scoring as a team last season. They fell to seventeenth this season. And what was interesting with that was looking at the actual points per possession. It w- wasn't a big difference. They went from 0.93 to 0.892. But what I found interesting was the rest of the league crept up, where um, like their mark this season, which was 17th, would have been 12th last season. So you had all these teams kind of rising in the isolation points per possession. Um, so just an interesting trend I, I had noticed going through that, um, if you had a thought on that. Yeah, I mean, I think there are some teams that are trying to do more isolation to begin with. Um, you know, listen, the Rockets have been doing it for a long time, so they're not one of them. But, you know, there was probably more isolation sets in, in Dallas with Luca. Um, I think we started to see it more and more with teams. Uh, so I'm not surprised to see the uptick in isolations in general, although I don't think it's a great thing for, for teams to stay into all that much, but I'm also not surprised to see the, the number go down a bit for the Clippers, despite how good Kawhi is just because, you know, when Kawhi's not in the game, you're trying to run different things and you're trying to get the ball moving. It's not as much isolation. You're not isolating uh, Lou Williams as much as you were before and and things like that. You're trying to get different actions and sets going. So I'm not too surprised that their number dipped uh, a bit. And I'm and on the flip side, I'm also not surprised that the the league is kind of trending that way a bit with, with more and more isolation plays uh, overall across the league kind of jumping up so really what not that big of a surprise to me in that sense um but uh yeah i mean it's an interesting stat in that sense because that's a big part of the playoff offense i think for Kawhi is that was something that was big for him in toronto was when they needed a bucket they just gave it to him and said go and that's something i think the clippers definitely could have counted on and you know there's not a lot of guys in the league that could really stop him so uh if any actually so you know, it, it it's it would have been a, a valuable weapon for them come playoff time. So now, officially moving on to our, our second player, <laughs> uh, Mr. Paul George. Uh, so it, it was difficult for me to figure out a key stat for Paul uh, because we, we didn't know when he was going to return. We didn't know what state he was going to return in. 
uh, I had kind of been told, you know, to temper my expectations and it might be, you know, mid-November, it might even be December. And there was kind of this wide range of like, one, he was going to be back and he was going to be probably on a minutes restriction. And I just didn't really know how to properly evaluate Paul. And I, you know, I, there was part of me that wondered if he would maybe have to sacrifice more than you kind of thought just because of course, Kawhi coming in, that was the prize. That was what the Clippers are going for. But then you also have the incumbents of like Lou and, and Trez and some of the guys that have already been there. So like if someone has to make an adjustment, maybe it's Paul a little bit. So I, I, I it was tough for me to kind of, you know, I remember, I just remember going through this exercise like before the season and, and just thinking like, what is a important or, or valuable metric for Paul? And it happened to be uh, his rebounding. So Paul's key stat was 8.2 rebounds per game, which is a career high last season. And I just thought, with this team, you know, um, heading into the season, they or you know, last season they were twentieth in rebounding, uh, you know, rebound percentage, and they were, they were not a good rebounding team. Uh, and this season, they actually bumped up to third in the league in rebound percentage, um, and, and you know, that's that's a pretty big jump. And if anything, this team's actually probably a little bit smaller this season. I, th- I think they're a little bit bigger on the perimeter, but. You know, a lot of times they were playing with a wing at the four, uh, whether it be Kawhi or PG or or more Mo Harkless now Marcus Morris. Like, they have not been a a traditional team with like you know a five and a four most nights, and they play a lot of minutes with Trez at the five. And we know Trez is not only small, but he's not really that good of a rebounder either. So it is interesting that this team has actually gotten better, um, at, you know, rebounding this season. But to go back to Paul George. Um, it's not fair to compare his rebounding numbers because he played eight minutes less or eight fewer minutes per game this season. So he averaged 5.7 rebounds, which is a lot less than 8.2. But if you actually stretch that out to per 36, it's eight rebounds last season versus 7.1 this season. So it's it's more similar. And what, what ended up happening was Kawhi Leonard actually posted, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard and Patrick Beverly posted career high rebounding numbers this season. So those two guys kind of picked up more of the rebounding burden um, in smaller lineups. And, you know, Paul was kind of hampered by having these minutes restrictions, but they, they were a better rebounding team with him on the court. Uh, so, so that matters. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't that far off of last season's rebounding. It was actually his second best rebounding season over the last five years. So all things considered, you know, Paul, was a plus on the glass. It, it was important for him to help out on the glass with the team playing small a lot. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of held his own in, in that regard, I guess. Yeah, I think sometimes we look at the rebounding numbers and just go, oh, wow, like he didn't rebound well or or whatnot. But it's, in general, it's just, you know, sometimes you're the guy that's boxing out and not getting the rebound. Sometimes it's, you know, you're pulling a, a, a guy away so, you know, offensively so that, you know, it opens the door for Trez to get an offensive rebounder or whatnot. And I think this is kind of normal, too, in the situation of like he's parachuting into a new situation and trying to figure out his role. You know, it's not it's funny. It, his his numbers aren't that different from his first year in OKC where he's still trying to figure things out um, a little bit different in the sense of. Uh, he obviously had more minutes and, and things like that. And the per 36 is an interesting number there to, to, to go with. And, and 
assume that way, although I'm not a big uh, per 36 guy, I think it, it never accounts for fatigue and things like that. But of course, yeah. Yeah. But I think it's like, but I think it's an interesting thing. If just, you know, the most important thing is they were a better rebounding team when he was on the court which means he was doing some of the dirty work as well as boxing out, putting his body in the line or, or maybe even just keeping a ball alive, you know, and, and tipping it to the point that somebody else could get the rebound. So I think sometimes just looking at the raw rebounds per number game it, or per game, God, wow. I, I don't know how to speak English anymore. Um, <laughs> we are look, 30 minutes in. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I thought I'd be warmed up though by now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh just thinking though when you just look at the number he it doesn't always tell the whole story right like if you looked at okc and steven adams you know when he was doing a great job boxing out all the time but wouldn't get the rebounds because that was for Russ to go get those numbers um and i think that's that kind of plays a role into it i think his he just helps the team in general in that sense and i think that's a it's an interesting stat because it is an important stat and i'm a big believer in good rebounding teams are, are absolutely necessary but you know, the uh, it, 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 the rebound percentage is probably what I would look at the most. And I think that stayed about the same. Right. So I think that's kind of where I would say, like, yo, like he, he hit the the number that he needed to hit in that sense, in terms of the, the key stat, just not necessarily grabbing the rebound itself. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. And I think one of the things this is actually a line later in the story that I, I ended up cutting out Um yeah, so his rebounding percentage dropped from eleven point four to ten, but that, you know that's a minuscule drop, and and that's kind of more in line. You know, his, his career rebounding percentage is ten point five last or this season he was ten point two, so he, he was basically right there with his career numbers. I, I dropped th- this line, uh, you know, I just as I said, just cut it from the story, but it, it was interesting that you know I, I've been a proponent for playing more Avica Zubats at the five as a Cousin lot of Zoo. Clip- <laughs> Cousin Zoo. <laughs> As a lot of Clipper Nation has been, and, and we'll get to Zubot soon, don't you worry. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked he wasn't he didn't start out. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think uh you know, I, I don't I've gone down this tangent so many times, but I I just think you know uh, this is maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm in the minority here, but I, I think he's quietly become one of the best rebounders, rim protectors, and screeners in the league. And the guys who check all those three boxes are probably Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis, like Joel Embiid. Like it's a like the, and of course those guys are a different level. But like I just think even his base skills, if if you take away some, I mean, I think he can pass a little bit, he could shoot a little bit, but just his base kind of things he brings every night. I think the list of guys who can do it at that level is very. So I've been pros with the five. But we just had a call uh, with with Doc and Lawrence, uh, you know, a week and a half ago, and I asked Doc, I, I'm, you know, I was like, "What is something?" Because he was talking about how much film he's been watching and, and going over stuff and really reevaluating his coaching and the season and, and really trying to prepare for a potential return and kind of what he would do differently. So I asked him, "What would you do differently? You know, what what have you learned? What has been something you you maybe wish you did differently?" And funny enough, uh, for uh, you know, I already wrote this, but he said that he, he wished he went small more at the five. Um, so e- even fewer minutes for for Vita <laughs> Um, But you know, he, he was kind of talking about playing Jamichael Green and Marcus Morris more at the five, and, and what that would look like. And that was something we had started to see a little bit 
Clippers had a game against OKC, uh, you know, towards the end of the season um, where they went Jermichael at the five because Trez got injured and I think Zoo was in foul trouble. And, and then they went Jermichael at the five and, and he hit a couple threes and, and really spaced the floor out and blew that game open. Uh, and, and then you'd seen a little bit of him at the five, Marcus at the five. Uh, so I, I think it was something they were trending towards. You know, Doc had since the beginning of the season really been talking about playing Jermichael at the five, and you know more in the playoffs. And we saw that last season against the Warriors in the playoffs, where they eventually switched out Zubots for for Green and then went really small. But where I was going with all of this was just I, I think you know Paul's rebounding was going to be more of a factor throughout the season, especially as they went smaller most likely in the playoffs and you were going to see lineups with Jamichael or Marcus at the five Kawhi and PG at the forward spots and like Lou and Pat in, in the backcourt. And in those instances, you know, Paul, Paul might actually be the tallest guy in the court. You know, Paul's six, nine, he's huge. Um, you know, he, he, he is bigger than Kawhi at least height wise. Um, and he might even be bigger than like Jamichael and Marcus height wise. So, you know, Paul in some instances was going to be the biggest guy out there. And I think his rebounding was going to be a factor, um, whether, you know, as, as we're saying, whether it was reflected in the stats or not, just kind of his effort on the glass was going to be a big thing for this team. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I know you want to go to your the next guy, but I want to call an audible here, Johan, and I want the next guy to be Jamichael Green because you brought him up because he is pretty important. Let's do it. Yeah. So Jamichael... My number for him was his three-point shooting uh, as a Clipper, which last season, and and this is the regular season and playoffs combined. So you know because he only played at, you know tw- I think twenty-five regular season games after the trades, I combined his playoff shooting um, into one metric. So that was forty-three point seven percent as a three-point shooter last season with, with the Clippers, and. You know that is a very high mark. That is a Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, yeah, that's insane. Ray Allen, like, of course, those guys take you know higher volume. Uh, you know, so so his volume, but he was still taking. I, I want to say, um, some I think three and a half threes a game, and per thirty six, which I know you don't love, but his per thirty six w- w- was about six point two threes a game. So like, it's not like he was taking one three a night and then call and you know shooting very well like he, he was taking a decent you know, decent amount especially for like a stretch big so you know i had my concerns over how sustainable that was and that to me was going to be a big factor of, of not only jermichael's role and how much jermichael played but also kind of the clippers flexibility with, with their lineups of because he was really the only big on paper that could shoot of course, Patrick Patterson, but Patrick Patterson regressed last season in OKC, and you just kind of figured was going to be the f- you know probably the fifth big in the rotation. So you're kind of like, if the Clippers are going to get some shooting at the big man spot, you need it from Jermichael. And Jermichael actually started the season really poorly and, and struggled to shoot and, and just didn't really find his rhythm. Eventually did, and if you kind of look at his splits, he, he's very up and down with his shooting, and he's a very streaky shooter. But he ended up finishing the season at 36.3%, which is slightly above league average. When you factor in it's a big, it, it's probably a little bit higher than that. But 
you know, it, it was never a number that you wanted it to be at. And it always felt like, you know, Jermichael overall kind of had a down season, especially coming off of last season. Um, you know, I was surprised at the contract he ended up signing, which was a two-year, $10 million deal with the Clippers. Uh, he has a player option on that second year. But, you know, th- this season he ended up averaging six points, six rebounds, 20 minutes a night. Like, wasn't anything special. And I, I would be shocked if he got much more than that $5 million on the open market. Um, you know, maybe if you're really high on him as like your third big, you could give him seven, eight million. But I just think overall, he probably had a disappointing season kind of from from how well he played last year. But the, the shooting, like it could have been worse. He could have been, you know, 33, 34%. Then I think you'd really be questioning his shooting. I think to have a, you know, a 60 game sample at 36% and then another, you know, 30 game sample at 44%, he's probably somewhere in the middle, maybe in that 37, 38% range. Um, but his shooting is real. I just, you know, there's a big difference between being a 44% three point shooter and a 36% three point shooter. And, you know, I, I guess if, if you made me had to pick, he, he's probably closer to the 36 and that does lower his value a bit. But again, he was picking up as a shooter. The Clippers were playing him at the five more. And I think that was something that could have been very valuable for them in the playoffs as kind of a wrinkle they could throw at. Um, you know, the Nuggets or the Rockets or the Lakers, like Jermichael at the five was is something that I, I think just makes this odd. Because again, the Clippers with, with Trez and Zoo, th- those guys are rim runners. Those guys are rollers. Those guys are paint bound. And, and that kind of gives you a certain look offensively. But having a guy who could pop, who could stretch the floor and really be a threat from the perimeter, you know, Jermichael could also beat guys off the dribble. Not, not much, but he can pump fake and drive. And I think having that guy at the five would really just do wonders for the Clippers offense. Yeah, I think it's important to note, like he did start out slow and that was the 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 goal of having him as a stretch big. Like that's that's the key, right? If he's not hitting shots, you can't really play him. He's not, he's not bringing that much more to the table. And the thing that really kind of stands out to me with Jamichael, and the, this is why he's actually really important for this team is that, you know, after the all-star break, he started hitting from 40% from three, you know, according to NBA.com. So, you know, he was coming around and he was, he was getting up there and he's, he's kind of finding his rhythm. Look, the 44% was like, that's a hell of a run, but that, that I don't think that's who he is. 36, I think is, is kind of low for him as well. I think he is probably in like the 38, 39 percent three point shooter, which is really good for a stretch big, but yeah, going into the playoffs, like that's a key guy. That's a guy that you said it, you know, he can play, he can give Denver trouble with Jokic and, and, and make it difficult and allow them to spread the floor. Um, so that there's room driving room for guys like Kawhi for Paul, for Lou and, and, and rolling space for, for Trez when, when they do a pick and roll. So I think that's kind of why he's actually really important was really important. And that's kind of why he got the deal that he got too, is they just didn't want to risk losing it. Like, yeah, you're overpaying here a little bit for him, but not to the point that it's crazy. And I think the situation there is, you know, in the playoffs, that just gives you another lineup you can go to, another way to play and uh, and to put pressure on teams. So, you know, if you do play Denver, if you do play Utah, I don't know if it works out well against the Lakers because I think AD is going to be able to cover that ground and and guard him and, and be able to rotate. 
I think, you know, you, you play those teams, though, it, it, it's a problem for them and that they'd have to figure out as long as he's hitting shots. And again, if he's not hitting shots, or if he hits a cold streak in the playoffs, then you're kind of screwed because Patrick Patterson really hasn't paid off. You're having issues. You know, you don't really have any other big that you could play at the five that that could stretch the floor besides those two. And I think that's where the uh, the, the importance of his shooting really comes into play for, for the Clippers championship hopes, really. This was part one of a two-part podcast. Check back next week, Monday afternoon, for part two.